Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Happy Monday to you, January 23rd, 2023. 123.23. Welcome to another week of life. Today marks episode number five of our Twitter Space series. That's right, about uh, risk factor, COVID-19, risk factor, why COVID was made with my special co-host and guest, Dr. Andrew Huff, who is the author of The Truth About Wuhan, uh, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. You can uh, purchase his book anywhere that books can be downloaded and or purchased. He is a former EcoHealth Alliance VP as well as senior scientist. Their EcoHealth Alliance is in the news today. You will want to follow that story. Uh, We're talking about people who have been paid uh, regarding COVID-19 and what what we're uncovering in this particular series of of uh, risk factor why covid was made right Did you catch that why and made so for those of you who are still lost in the shuffle of information and mis and disinformation around covid because people are attempting to uh bypass any form of justice right or or judgment that is going to come down regarding all of the lies and payoffs and you know just the whole crime syndicate of what has occurred with regard to covid-19 a lot of those a lot of those things are being revealed um in these spaces but it's important for you to understand that why it was in fact made right and so we've covered that in episode 1 we covered pandemics and bioweapons uh bioweapon preparedness uh, and how that relates to pandemics and we had with us colonel john hoffman as well as mr charles rixey who is uh united states marine corps uh, wemd uh specialist expert rather and that was a very uh, intriguing conversation and informative. And episode two was about biosurveillance and health intelligence, biointelligence and biosurveillance. That will open your eyes to a lot of the data mining uh, that is occurring and the why, the who, the what, the how comes and all of that. And what will be the inevitable outcome of biosurveillance and health, quote, intelligence. Uh, episode three was 20 years of Dirk uh, and gain-of-function pol- policy history. All of this is very important to understand the agencies that were involved uh, with regard to gain-of-function and the, quote, why again. Um, it also goes into other, you know, great detail about key actors that's very important to understand. And then today brings you to NIH, DOD, SARS, COVID-2. Uh, COVID uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, COV2, mRNA vax development from 2012 to 2019. Just stop right there. Let that sink in, right? Many of you did not realize that this goes way back. 
<laughs> this is before you ever saw a fake or real uh, video on TikTok of people dropping dead in uh, streets in China, right? So th- this predates what what we've ever known around COVID uh, nineteen per se, and so this this is very important again to understand the genesis of a thing. Very important. So today we were joined by Dr. Huff. Texas Lindsay, as well as Charles Rixey. Again, we will return on Wednesday uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in my space at Monica on Air Talk. If even if you don't have a Twitter account, you can click the link and head into my space at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you would like to engage, however, you will need to be on a cell phone in order to execute that command. But without further ado, here we are. Hey guys, welcome, 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 welcome. Um, so, Tim, can you open your mic, please, so I can make sure I can hear you? I could not hear the music in the space. Yes. All right, cool. Test, and you test. can clearly hear me. Excellent. Um, yeah, great. Welcome, everybody. I know there are uh, some other interesting spaces going on right now, um, dealing with J6, with election integrity, all kinds of things. Uh, so I do thank you. You could be anywhere else but here, but I do appreciate your time and your attention to this. Um, I don't think this is going to be the last time that we deal with uh, COVID or anything of this nature uh, moving forward. So I'm getting, I love all your feedback. Thank you. It's all been very positive and you guys are learning things in this space that you have not heard elsewhere, which was um, our full intent. Uh, so thank you very much. And I know that uh, Dr. Huff is in high demand. He has been uh, making the rounds uh, with regard to promoting um, his book. Um, and I think many of you may have seen him on InfoWars, <laughs> which is always, um, yeah, that, that's, it's always, <laughs> I, you know, think what you want of Alex Jones. Uh, but it, it is one of those things, tough questions that other people don't kind of makes you think. And I think I saw some of, I think I saw you tweeting that Andrew, is that right? Oh, oh my God. It was the most intense, <laughs> scariest interview of my life. I, I, I mean, I wasn't so scared going into it. And then I sat down there and I'm looking at the, the spread of, of articles from the media or journal articles and all these things. So he's definitely done his homework on a lot of different subjects sure. and, and, and he really studies things before you come in there and you have no clue what he's going to go into <laughs> or what he's going to discuss. Cause typically I guess my experience so far with the media has been, you sort of have to prep them on what to discuss and you have right. to provide them with content. Alex Jones, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you just show up and you're sitting in the seat and you have no clue where it's going to go. And um, I, I can I can see why so many people have had meltdowns on his show or on his <laughs> platform because you know it's sort of funny if you go, actually go to YouTube or you know Rumble or something and you look Alex Jones meltdowns. I mean, there's pages and pages of people <laughs> melting down on his show over the year, and That's I can awesome. see see why because if you're not ready for it, he just starts peppering things with you, and if you, and if you don't try to control the situation to some extent, uh, you're gonna he, he's gonna bury you. And right. that's, that's when people start to freak out <laughs> and you, you have to re- remain calm. And it's also sort of interesting how he shoots it in the studio. So it's um, a lot of the cameras are automated and moving around mm-hmm. and he wants you to look at a certain camera across from you uh, while he's sitting right next to you. 
And it's just, it's sort of unnatural from an interview when that's the way the studio is set up, because you want to look to the person that you're, you're speaking with instead right. of staring at a camera in front of you. So the, it's just, it's all very interesting. And I'd love to do it again. Unfortunately, uh, he had family things to attend to on Saturday, so we didn't get to do our um, one hour uninterrupted special, but um you know, I was actually ready for it. It's a good warm warm up going on from the show with segments where you have a few breaks here and there to then right. just the the one hour gauntlet. Excellent. Yeah, he's so so. Some of us um, come prepared with our own material, but many times you guys are sent out uh, into, into the, into the, uh, marketing ecosystem and your publishers have sent questions specific because you're on such a short, not only a limited amount of time, but you're also on a PR leash. And so it's not, it's like, you don't want to give the whole thing away. So people actually buy your book. And so some publishers are a little bit more encapsulated than others and they are more controlling than others. And so I am mindful of they don't want you to deviate from any of the questions on that on that uh, release sheet. And, and if I do, I get, you know, nabbed for that, although I have ventured off of off the lead sheet. But generally speaking, um, a lot of them are that way. So I think your publishers, as I've said to my spaces before, are very cool uh, and they do a great job of, you know, staying on top of things and, and representing you well and your body of work. So uh, what is the name of your publisher again? Uh, Skyhorse, and that's via Simon & Schuster. There you go. So Skyhorse, they're, they're fantastic people to, uh, to deal with. So for you authors, budding authors out there, uh, keep that in mind. I love plugging people who are doing great work. And uh, by all accounts, they seem to be doing great work. So without further ado, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. If you would, please do us a favor and retweet this space uh, and invite people in. You can also retweet it and text it. You can put it on Facebook. You can send it to Truth Social. Uh, you can put it on your YouTube account. You're not limited to only Twitter. Uh, people can tune in via desktop, laptop, and or phone. If they are going to contribute to the conversation, I don't know how much of that we will allow for today, just because, or a lot for, I should say, uh, because we have a lot to cover and Dr. Huff was not able to be with us because of uh, mitigating circumstances last week on Friday. So we're going to, uh, we're going to roll right through this because we're only here for an hour uh, you can um, also catch this in its entirety, and the entire show will be produced um, after this. And you can pick that up anywhere my uh, podcasts are downloaded. So you can subscribe to my podcast and receive that. Uh, I'll also post it on this medium and several others. So you guys can uh, listen to that in its entirety if you happen to have to bail out of here. Um, and it will be uh, produced, and then you can scroll through that at your leisure, at your speed. I know for some of you, that is very helpful to be able to kind of, you know, Monica times five uh, or others. So, but this this space, I will say, I'm going to toot our own horn here in that, and, and thanks completely to Dr. Huff and uh, his guests who have joined us up to this point, who have been extremely transparent um, they, they've been very forthcoming with information that you guys are not going to get in other spaces or it, at least not for now. Um, and primarily because I think it's important with something of this magnitude to contain, uh, the information, um, in, in such a way that it's, it is not, it, it's not, how do I, how do I say this? Information is my business, right? Like communications is my business. Info, information and, and intel for you. This is really intel. 
this isn't just information. This is intelligence for you to go back and make decisions for your own lives and your families uh, and moving forward. And that's why we're doing this. And so we're not speculating. This isn't conjecture. These are, we're not laughing, we're not poking fun and making jokes, and we're not interlacing this with political speak. This is science, this is technology, this is the military industrial complex, this is a lot of things. And this is, this is brought to you by people who have actually been there from the beginning. So I, that's why I appreciate, you know, you guys having respect for the space and, and sharing it, that you are getting out of it what we had hoped you would. So thank you again for your time. Uh, yeah, so we've, th- where are we on? Uh, we're on day four of our uh, Twitter spaces. And just to kind of recap, if you've missed anything, you can also go back and find those on my downloads. You can also find those here on my Twitter spaces, uh, my Twitter feed rather. We have had nothing but technical issues over the past couple of times, but it sounds like we're no longer wonky or shaky and I may actually get to hang out in my own space for the duration. Uh, So that'll be fun. But if it does get wonky, I just simply, I, I put the space back on and we just keep rolling. So we don't miss a beat. Uh, so don't freak out. Just come back if that happens. Uh, but our but our first episode was uh, the uh, pandemic and bioweapon uh, preparedness. It was an introduction to the history of bioweapons and uh, and pandemics. Also, uh, I think episode two we were on biosurveillance and health intelligence. That was that was very interesting. Uh, I would encourage all of you to go back and listen to that. And uh, on Friday we attempted to cover, although uh, Mr. Rixie, who is I believe is he with he is awesome. He has been our special guest uh, since the beginning, and he's been very gracious with his time and his knowledge. And he is uh, taking actually some great risk in sharing. Uh, the information with us that he is uh, not because anything in this space is classified. And there's my, there's my segue into my disclaimer. Uh, anything that is shared in this space is not necessarily the view of clear talk media and, or me, your host, Monica Matthews and, or my co-hosts uh, aside from Dr. Huff, clearly, because this is his information. <laughs> so, but my regular co-hosts and I are like, you know, we're here to learn like the rest of you. We are not experts in this field, but, uh, but Mr. Rixie and Dr. Huff clearly, Really are as our other guests. So today, well, actually on Friday, we got into all kinds of things, not the least of which was gain of function. So you're going to want to go back and, uh, and take a listen to that. And today we're talking about uh, NIH, DOD, SARS, COVID-V2, MRNA VAX development from 2012 to 2019. So that's a mouthful. Right, and so we're gonna we're gonna start there. But first, I'm gonna introduce my uh, my wonderful co-host, Dr. Andrew Huff, is the author of The Truth About Wuhan: How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. You can go to his Twitter feed, find out exactly how to purchase that and download that material. I highly encourage you to do so. He is the former Eco Health Alliance uh, VP. His he is a VP as well as senior scientist. Uh, so he knows a thing or two. He also has an extensive background that, that goes way beyond EcoHealth Alliance, as you will hear today. And, and Andrew, maybe you can share some of that with us as Julia into this conversation. Also, we have with us Mr. Charles Rixey, United States Marine Corps historian, DOS, weapons of mass destruction ex- expert. So you've probably uh, seen him in other spaces as well. And hold on one second. Let me invite Texas Lindsay up. Um with us as well okay um 
There we go. And Texas Lindsay is, um, Lindsay is someone who is, uh, I would consider her a communications expert, also a strategist, but she probably more importantly is, is a whistleblower liaison. And that's really important to have someone in your corner as you're attempting to bring your story out into the public. Um, I think that her work is not as, uh, as celebrated as it should be or and or understood anyone who's whistleblowing uh, is it is is offering themselves and their family members and their future you know up to the powers that be um to a certain extent and so unless you have the protection of our father which i think everyone on this stage does and Lindsay does an excellent job of uh, of representing these folks so please follow Lindsay. you can also follow her Substack, and you can find her literary work there as well Lindsay, welcome i'm glad you're able to make it um and without further ado uh, Dr. Huff, please lead us off with where we're going today. All right. Well, thank you so much. And my apologies, everyone, for my not being able to attend last Friday. I had a series of uh, live appearances and recorded appearances, and they didn't account for travel time between the appearances. So I was running late to every appearance that I went to, so I had to had to bail. So my apologies. So I guess a good way of you know getting into this is that in my book, I, I actually dedicate a chapter to mRNA technology because as we previously discussed through the other spaces, this dance between gain-of-function research and, and dual-use research of concern and mRNA happen in concert because you, to have a protection against these, you know, these infectious diseases that are being engineered – you have to have some technology or drug that you're developing. So you can't have one without the other. Now, they're not always vaccines, and I don't like to call uh, these the mRNA pl- platform a vaccine because it's actually a gene therapy. So I, I think I'll start off by reading an excerpt out of my book, <clears throat> which was quite shocking uh, when this was stated, and this was actually heavily suppressed on social media. But here we go. So another glaring example of the minority of scientists being proven correct occurred at the World Health Sum- Summit in 2021. In 2021, the president of Bayer's pharmaceutical division, Stephen Ulreich, stated, Together with Bill and Melinda Gates, we're working very closely on family planning initiatives. We are really taking that leap to drive innovation. Us as a company, Bayer, in cell and gene therapies. Ultimately, the mRNA vaccines are an example for that cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago in the public, would you be willing to take a gene or cell, cell therapy and inject it into your body? We would probably have had a 95% refusal rate. So when you think of the context of everything thing that has happened and, and uh, the big lie, the cover-up of, of what happened with the, the lab leak, the push to get the mRNA jabs onto the market, this big fear component and stoking the fear was a key component of, of, of making that happen because I tend to agree with uh, this executive, uh, Stephen Ulreich, if they wouldn't have been pushing the fear, people wouldn't have been pushing this into their bodies. Now, with the mRNA technology, and we actually invited a couple other guests today, but <clears throat> typical problems that happen, you know, with, I guess, uh, busy scientists and academics and government folks, they couldn't make it. So Colonel uh, John Hoffman uh, had scheduled and had agreed to be here with us today. And then, unfortunately, he got called in as a subject matter expert to a Department of Homeland Security emergency meeting this afternoon, so he wasn't able to attend. Um, I was exchanging uh, text messages with Dr. Robert Malone, and he agreed to be here if he could make it work with his travel schedule. And then actually his flights got canceled over in Europe, so he's stuck in Europe right now trying to figure out a way to get home. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. So it's just going to be Charles and I riffing off each other at this point. Uh, so Charles, just out of quick curiosity, how much 
how much research have you done into the origin of the mRNA platform uh, related to SARS-CoV-2? Oh, oh, yeah, here. Okay, there we go. So, a lot. Um, not as much about the technology as dealing with the epitopes, or basically the, the actual spike itself that went into the vaccine. But because it's a DARPA um, original, because it came up through DARPA as a technology, and because obviously I've you know, I, I worked with <laughs> someone from DARPA to leak the diffuse documents. I, uh, I have been able to get a lot of insight into what their thinking was, both from the earliest times, well, at least in around 2010, 2013, and then like how it has developed since then. So prior to that, I don't have that much knowledge, but since then, I'm, I've got a pretty good hold on it. Sure. So I think then I can hop in. I have another excerpt from my book I can hear, read real quick, and then we'll come back to you, Charles, and then we'll play Stump the Chump. So uh, from 1987 to 2008, the mRNA vaccine technology and platform rapidly evolved simultaneously in three key areas and are grouped according to topic and, and not as they occurred to enhance clarity. So first, the mRNA platform itself was attested as a treatment in rats as, and as a cancer drug in mice. In 2005, it was discovered that the, the modified, NRA, modified RNA evades immune detection, and that's important for how the story evolves. I'm sort of ad-libbing here. And with the first mRNA, mRNA clinical trial for infectious diseases uh, occurring in 2013. Uh, the second, which I think most of you are familiar with, is the, the lipid-based delivery system, um, which advanced with the first report of four-component lipid nat nanoparticle. That's a little bit of jargon there, which was used to deliver DNA into cells in 2001, in 2005, a scalable method for developing LNP was in, in, invented, and in 2018, the first drug with lipid nanoparticles was, was approved for the, by the Food and Drug Administration. And the third course of development here is that the mRNA platform was combined with the NLP technology to make vaccines, quote-unquote, with the first mRNA vaccine developed for influenza and tested in mice in 1993. The first mRNA vaccine with NLP was tested in mice in 2012, and the first clinical trial of mRNA vaccines with lipid nanoparticles was developed and tested for influenza in 2015. So this, is, this has been a platform that's been under development for a while, and I think the, the thing that's really interesting to point out here, um, in all these different clinical trials and, and the endpoints and outpoints of, of them, there was always problems or safety, safety or, or health problems with the different um, mRNA technologies that they're testing, whether it's cancer, sudden death, all these different things. So it's really amazing to me how, how this gets get pu gets pushed into. Dr. Hoff, can I, can I ask you something really quick before I forget? Sure. So are you, you just said NLP. So, yes. so I know NLP as neuro linguistic programming. Uh, NLP. Uh, so liquid, it liquid, liquid nanoparticles. Liquid. Oh, LNP. LNP. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay. I was like, Hold on. <laughs> like, did we already have the narrative around the mRNA stuff? No, because, no, no, no. That would make sense if we did. All of yeah. it would make sense. But okay, got it. All right. So no, LNP. Got yes, it. And, okay. I, and I didn't know Thank if you. I had to spell it out. I thought people would put it together. <laughs> so maybe I should have explained that to people. So uh, LNP is the acronym for lipid nanoparticle. So if you see it written out, when they say LNP in this space, in, in infectious disease vaccine, uh, vac vaccinology. Thank you. Yeah. L LNP is lipid na nanoparticle. Okay. I heard NL. All right, cool. Thank you so much for clarifying. That's just my terrible Minnesota accent. 
<laughs> well, there's that, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> we forgive you. So then there, there's a, another sideline here, another side story to how this is going on is Dr. Ralph Burke's uh, involvement in this, but I think it's, it's a good time to go back to um, Charles here. So Charles, do you briefly want to describe all the different government agencies where they would have been doing this type of work and research? Outside, some of it may be related to DOD or the Department of Homeland Security in the specific facilities where they do this kind of research? Oh, geez. Um, so I'm not as familiar with outside of the DOD, but um, kind of alongside the development of mRNA and other technologies, after September 11th, there was a switch towards um, becoming more integrated with the with private companies sort of like public-private partnerships for biomedical um, <clears throat> technologies, especially related to uh, dealing with emergencies like terrorist attacks or, or pandemics or something like that. So that, and that's really how the NIH became involved with the defense side of things. And so you have on one hand in the, in the public sector you, or in the private sector, you have, all these companies that were they were investigating various technologies like Pfizer and Moderna, and Moderna was being supported by at first DARPA and then by by the NIH as well. Um, and then within the military, there's something called BARDA, which is kind of responsible for. Oh man, you're all over it. You're you're close. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to. Well, well because there, there's several different entities, and they come in at different times, and they got mixed together during the pandemic. And I think that's part of the problem, because Bardo was always on the defense side, working on medical countermeasures, which is what the military calls, um, you know, therapeutics or, or vaccine prophylaxis for or against a pathogen of some kind, and then on the civilian side. Kind of or serving between these was the Department of, of Health and Human Services, a guy named Robert Cadillac. He was the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, and his job was to kind of coordinate between public and private entities to and allocate funds where they need to go. And he, he built this role up over almost two decades. And then fulfilled it during the the first two years of the pandemic. Yeah, you, and you nailed it. So I'd say that's probably the big part. Well, you yeah. nailed it. And so the the other acronym here is ASPR, so the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response. And it's sort of funny in this world of of pandemics and bioterrorism, bioterrorism and biowarfare. There, there's several different U.S. government agencies operating either under Health and Human Services, the Department of Homeland Security, um, the Department of Defense. Uh, that are all tr sort of working in parallel or, or might even be redundant in some cases for building these types of technologies. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Robert Kadlik because I discussed a fair amount of what he had done to make this all happen in my book. And uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. does the same in his book. I mean, I really believe that he was uh, a critical um, 
component, I guess, of, of making this happen from the, the human social dynamic side of actually putting the programs and process into place. I believe he was also an Air Force surgeon, as I, as I recall. And, you know, you know, it's interesting that with the Department of Defense, because, you know, what happens is that the Department of Defense stops having these, a lot of these bio programs, whether it be bio research for, you know, if you want to call it weapons or which, you know, they're not supposed to be engaged in, but um, medical countermeasures, dual use, re, uh, dual use research concern, gain of function. It, it really, this big shift happens where they start to do this all out in the open and they, it's moved off DOD into NIH through Dr. Anthony Fauci at night because most of all the, the chemical weapons response and biological biologics research now happens uh, through NIAID, the sub-agency at, at NIH, which I find to be one of the strangest things ever to happen in government structure. I mean, it is it's, it, to, to think about how weird this yeah. is to everyone in the audience listening. So, so here you have um, an issue which would, would fall firmly under, I could say, you know, three different agencies potentially. You could argue the FBI, you could argue uh, the Department of Homeland Security, or you could argue the Department of Defense. But here all this uh, chemical and biological and CBRN research has been moved firmly within uh, health and human services, which is both, you know, is typically a, uh, a public health and medical entity and specifically within um, NIH, which is a, a research institution. And then it's even stranger than NIAID. The National Institute for Allergens, Infectious Diseases, which is my section of NIH, where you know I've been a grant reviewer and, and I spent most of my time, um, that this research is sitting there of all places. It's stranger. It actually makes more sense for the biological parts, which is might, might be infectious diseases. But all this, all this uh, research has happened out in the open. And and back to, to Charles's point about the the creation of private uh, public partnerships. That, that really that pressure really comes on during the Obama administration, from my perspective, because they get really criticized by Congress. For, for trying to do all this work in-house, the government does. So you, here you have Congress uh, griping at the executive branch saying, well, why don't you have more private private uh, partnerships? And there's some good logic on Congress's side by that because most critical yeah. infrastructure, like 80% of it is owned by the private sector. So if you want, you know, programs to be successful, you want to outsource them. And that's also maybe sometimes how conservatives, you know, think com companies are more efficient and effective doing these things. So that's why you see this, this work getting outsourced. And Andrew, wasn't there a lab leak also that led to this under the Obama administration that really was a pivotal moment for that? Uh, to to which which oh, yeah. which, one, which one are you referring to? <laughs> there, there was one that was significant enough for the moratorium to um, take effect. I mean, the, the the ball started rolling after um, one of the lab leaks happened, and I believe it happened in 2014, which led to the moratorium to go into effect in uh, 2017. Well, the, well there there, there were a series of bad things that sort of happened between 2012 and, and 2014. Uh, one, there's some anthrax uh, samples. I think it was from an FDA laboratory get shipped across the country in an improper manner. Then they're, they're found and discovered in a place that they're not supposed to be. Um, there's a number of lab leaks at, at U.S. facilities um, engaged, well, I'd say engaged in, in dangerous research, I think. Um, well, I don't know if you sampled what was one, but actually Dr. Ralph Barrick's laboratory has a number of leaks o over time. And, and right. these leaks just keep sort of popping up. And, the, and then there's always the issue of, well, you know, what's in, in epidemiology, we, you know, we, call, we talk about 
this thing called confirmed cases and uh, suspected cases when trying to make histograms and analyze data of individual uh, case level data. Well, you can use that same, they use that same logic when, when analyzing laboratory leaks. Well, this is a suspected case or a suspected laboratory leak or a confirmed one, because sometimes depending on the infectious disease or agent you're working with, it's really hard to determine causality. And this is actually what they've made the whole COVID origin debate about falsely, because this one is actually very easy to prove. But if you're working with uh, you know, some highly pathogenic um, avian uh, flu strain, that's a little bit more difficult to prove. And uh, even at one extreme, there's there's actually been laboratory leaks of uh, plant pathogens, they believe, from the Galveston Laboratory, which happens in the same period of time, which uh, wrecks uh, havoc on the citrus crops in the south. So there, there, there's actually a number of different types of leaks that all sort of happen at the same time. And I think the administration uh, just takes the heavy-handed approach to say, we're going to ban all this stuff because, obviously, the administration, the executive branch, doesn't have control of it. I mean, that, at least that's the way I perceive it. Hey, Dr. Huff. Um what was the what did they feel was the cause of all these leaks that were happening all in this short time frame lead up? Well, and I discussed okay, that's a great question. So I discussed this in my book at length. And so I used to build a lot of risk assessment platforms and tools uh, for the government. So you, you, I sat around for I spent a lot of time sitting around thinking about how things can go wrong. And, and in the military, you do this too. You know, you're looking at the, the battlefield, you're planning an operation or mission, you're getting, you're practicing, executing it. And, uh, you look at how things can go wrong because that's what you want to try to, to, you know, if you find weaknesses or vulnerabilities in your own process, you want to try to, uh, minimize the risk around that, whatever it might be. In the national security circles, when I worked at India national laboratories, we always called it the human in the loop. And especially like looking at nuclear safety, it's, the, the technologies and things that we, we build, we can test, you know, we can test a piece of hardware, we can test a containment device, you know, millions of different times, and you can even do it and simulate it, and you can understand uh, mathematically with, in terms of probability what the risk is, and very specifically. But the problem is when you're dealing with people, uh, you can't, people are unpredictable, and you don't know how they're going to screw things up or what bad decisions they're going to make. And, you know, you're dealing with people and, and when you're dealing with, with lab, uh, infectious disease or agents or, you know, chimerics or whatever in this laboratory setting, it just only takes one person to decide to eat their sandwich in a place where, where they're not supposed to, uh, to potentially expose themselves to agents. And, and I use that example because eating and, dr and drinking in, in uh, laboratories is a huge problem. And it's a mistake that people make all the time because they feel overconfident. Or, you know, you forget to turn the, uh, the negative pressure on or the vacu vacuum on a, on a hood that you're working on underneath or maybe the, the uh, pressure gets reversed if you're working with the right kind of model. So there, there's just a million different ways that can go wrong. And it's typically, you know, from, from relies on a person um, not following a checklist or, you know, sometimes taking a corner. Or so maybe some a piece of equipment breaks and they got, they're up against a deadline and they want to get the work done. So they just decide to assume the risk and, and continue with the work. Um, as the case, which we suspect with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they're, they're working in lower bi biosafety level conditions, which um, are not appropriate for the agent that they're work working with based on the, the risk profile of the agents that they're working with. But once again, that was a human decision that did that. That's not like a piece of equipment failing or whatever. It's just someone just deciding to do something stupid. And we, most of the time when you go look at these 
these laboratory accidents or failures. It's, it's always a human failing. And this is why I've been against one, another one of the reasons why I've been against gain of function work. And another reason why I'm against the location of the national bioagriculture facility in Kansas, because even if they do everything right at that laboratory and they happen to be working with something that's really dangerous, that's a BSL level three or four agent, which means it's highly uh, patho- pathogenic and, you know, the consequence of escapes the laboratory can be grave. You know, here they put this ladder laboratory in the middle of the, uh, that studies foreign animal diseases in the middle of the heartland, right? And where we have a lot of cattle and swine production and uh, turkeys and chickens and other things and, and, and crops, you know, the, the most valuable crop land in the world. <laughs> and, you know, if something escapes those lab- that laboratory and gets into the animal population, it could be economic uh, uh, ec- economic uh, catastrophe for the United States because most of our GDP is is food food production. So, it, it, there's differences of opinion here, and that, that's certainly great. But it's always the human in the loop that causes the problem. Tim, I know you're usually loaded with questions, so please. Yes, definitely. Um, I, w- I just, as I'm sitting here thinking about this and it kind of, um, it brings me back to um, when I was, I was looking into the research papers and studies related to advanced spiral vectors and um, means to deliver mRNA for the purposes of countering inflammatory conditions. And um, I was just wondering if you if you wanted to discuss a little bit about the um, bio vector research that came, you know, on, you know, either slightly before or around the time that mRNA platform was being developed. Well, I haven't actually heard the keyword term uh, uh, bio vector. Is that what you said? I want to make sure I get this right. No, vi- viral oh, vectors. Viral. Like, gotcha. Yeah. I thought you said something else. Okay. Uh, well, so uh, viral vectors. I mean, I, I think that's another good example of jargon used in industry to describe the threat you're trying to mitigate. So, and oftentimes you might use viral vector in context with a class or family of viruses that you're concerned of. And one viral vector would be coronaviruses. Well, in in terms of how that relates to to mRNA vaccine technology, I mean, I think uh, flu viruses, coronaviruses, uh, Hendra viruses, those would be the ones that were typically, you know, target targeted because that's where the most, I guess, fear lied and, and where you could probably make the most money if you get the population to accept them, especially in terms of, um, you know, you want the largest market possible and, and the huge success there while they were making money, I thought was obviously the flu vaccine because think about how many people typically received a traditional uh, flu vaccine. Does that answer your question? It, yeah, it, it gets kind of close, but it just uh, one of the areas I was I was looking at was more the the delivery of um, mRNA for the purposes of doing other things. You know, it's even as far as reverse aging or looking into um, solving uh, genetic or immune condition. You know that that this was like kind of the foundational concepts, but they obviously went very far away from that in in where it went into this sort of militarized gain of function research. Oh, okay. Well, now I think I understand your question better. So I I think so that when you're dealing with mRNA and remember it's a, it's a messaging mRNA is a messaging building block within, within a cell as a way to look at it. And so if you're able to get it to teach in a cell to, to code a different protein and 
in being creative here, you, the, the sky is the limit of things you could do with it. I mean, you could use it for anti-aging. You could use it for cancer research. These, these are things they actually tried. You could use it to try building a better immune response to for infectious diseases. And when you look at new drug discovery, they want to, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies and a company like Moderna are looking for any aspect or angle where they can make money on this. So you look at the, the elements that that are, are big markets in terms of where do consumers spend their money. And so you, the, the first thing you mentioned, mentioned was anti-inflammatories. I think when you first asked the question, that sort of threw me off. But the irony here is if you look at what the mRNA jabs have as an adverse event or a side effect is they cause terrible inflammation. So people are getting inflammation of, 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 the, of the heart, you know, in the vascular system, it appears, in the respiratory system. So if, if that's one of the, the side effects here, it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences from the use of mRNA. That's why why I'm against its its use now. It's hard to predict what what the what the most recent research I read that the endoplasmic endoplasmic reticulum is actually pumping out nonsense into the cell, and, and what that nonsense causes all sorts of problems in, in terms of you know with the proteins that it's coding. Whether that, you know, I think that there's a good chance that that will turn out to be true, but um, it can go a lot of different ways and we just don't know yet. Andrew, was that also true for the cancer therapies, the experiments with uh, mRNA, that you were also having the same immune response, hyperimmune response? Not, well, yes. not always. I mean, I, so I read a bunch of different studies. <laughs> Charles just said yes. Well, Charles, <laughs> yeah, well, not exactly. He's right. It's not exactly, but, but they did so see Charles, it. go ahead and hop in. Okay. Well, so I, I definitely want to say that the way that they marketed this was, was horrific because um, even now you, you'll see, it's very common for them to say, okay, uh, the vaccine does not contain the virus itself. It, you know, contains a piece of it, but not the entire one. Therefore, the vaccine cannot make you sick with COVID nineteen. And I, that's I, that in a sense that's true. But unfortunately, it can still make you sick with all of the same problems, and sometimes even worse. And when we pretend that there is that there's not consequences then we're, you're basically giving people a false sense of security. And in this case, with COVID-19, not only is the spike protein um, antigenic and damaging without the rest of the, the viral genome, but the same things that it causes, the same inflammation and, and damage and stuff, is exacerbated by two things. One, the lipid nanoparticle and the mRNA itself and the way that it bypasses um, various systems in your body. And two, the quantity of spike protein that is in the initial jab and then that is produced over an unknown period of time after um, it starts transfecting. So, so basically they've, they've said, okay, well, this is, you're not going to get COVID. Well, but if you get things that happen in COVID and you can even get them worse, because you have 10 or a hundred times as many spike proteins in your body, then that's, that's a false premise. That's very, sure. very dangerous. I have a, uh, I know of someone currently who is uh, pro- close to 18, well, right around two years of age. 
um, was vaccinated um, and just a few months ago and is currently in the hospital and has been in the hospital uh, for the past week or so with a myriad of infections, um, everything from E. coli to you, you name it, and has been borderline uh, septic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what they discovered was that her white blood cell count was so low um, that she could not fight um, really anything. So, uh, you know, no, no one is really wanting to draw a line uh, or a straight arrow to, um, to the fact that she had just been vaccinated um, just under two years of age. So I was just curious, you know, I mean, it, obviously you, you've got a, a cocktail uh, of things going on inside the human body uh, with this. And, you know, as we've all been told, um, but it helps to have the science breakdown. Before, so before we move on, uh, welcome to the space, you guys. This We're on part four. We're on episode four. If you've missed the other three, uh, please go back and listen to those. You can find them on my Twitter feed as well as in my uh, podcast. If you're not subscribed to my podcast, please do so. Um, I also see um, uh, Maze Levin here who hosts great space spaces on this as well. So please follow her. Um, I have my regular co-host uh, with me here today who is Tinfoil Tricorn. Thank you for being here. And uh, Christopher, who has his hand up, we're going to go to him next. He is also my regular co-host, but we are joined by the beautiful Texas Lindsay. Please follow her as well. She too hosts amazing spaces around this topic um, and along many others, uh, as well as many others. Dr. Huff is our special guest today, as well as uh, Mr. Charles Rixey. So please follow Charles. He is literally an encyclopedia of information that will just have you saying holy crap uh every time you read one of his tweets and you know i feel like the dumbest person in the room when i'm reading his tweets because i'm like god i have to go get a medical dictionary to understand any of this um but the whole reason we're doing this is to bring a different level of awareness to what's really transpired and without you know uh without it becoming politicized without it you know just i just want an orthodox approach um on behalf of the people who know exactly what the hell's going on and who have been there from the beginning. Not conjecture, not pontification, not upset people, not politics. I don't care about Trump and Biden and all the injection stuff. I, I want to go back to the beginning, and this was Dr. Huff's idea to bring this information forward um, so you guys have really an inside view as to what's been going on, the what, the why, the who, the when, how comes and all that stuff so welcome if you're just now joining us please retweet the space if you haven't done so already and uh, make sure that you're sharing the space as well once it concludes which will be in about 25 minutes uh christopher go ahead so you started the space dr huff and um and uh, texas Lindsay. uh you guys started the space in reference to the start going back to the beginning of covid um the covid shot you know what i mean in the creation of this mrna technology into there and you referenced it in terms of family planning with the bill and gates uh, bill gates and melinda gates foundation and we see them in the emails that have been leaked all, all, all the way up until you know even in the february emails january emails where they where they clearly at this point know it's a lab leak so can you kind of talk to the room or just tell the room how, what was their mindset in, in this for family planning? Was it just gene therapy, like these custom babies? Or was it actually more, you know, um, a darker um, ver view in terms of limiting um, 
uh, reproduction of children? That's a great question. So, so first of all, when I opened this up, that was not so that that was not me speaking. That was actually a quote from uh, Stephen Stephen uh, Ulreich. He was a, a bear pharmaceutical executive. And he actually said those words publicly at a conference in 2021. And I was shocked when he, when he said all this, there's actually a YouTube clip of this or a rumble clip where you can go look this up. So that was not me saying it. That was a pharmaceutical executive. And I think it's like on page, you know, take a look here at my book because I actually have it up. Uh, it is page, I think it's one. Well, I take that back. It's, it's on page Actually, on page two, because I use it as a uh, page two of the book, because I use it as a introductory to shock people of, you know, what's really going on and whether or not they're, you know, what type of family planning or, or trying to discuss how they're, they're you know, trying to imagine how they're, how they're going to use, use this. I have no clue. Um, and I had worked around the periphery of the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I had actually been a consultant um, as an epidemiologist and a scientist and a technologist on, on a number of um, I shouldn't say a number. I should say a few. Bill and Gates, uh, Bill Gates as a foundation's funded projects. So I, I have some familiarity working with them. But it, it, there's nothing ever nefarious, at least to this degree. I mean, it sounds completely. It, it sounds insane to me, but I, I really have no clue. Andrew, for the sake of the conversation, do you want? Is it short enough for you to read to quote that to read it? Read it again? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. I'm just pull it up. While he's pulling that up, I can I can just add that um, there was a Harvard study that I've mentioned. I think I've mentioned this before that went and and did a um, a history of all the WeChat searches in China, which is kind of like Google in China, and of all the symptoms that were very um, that were flu like that people were looking up in China around the August timeframe, and um, this was, I think, around August and possibly July, and they did an overview of the hospital, a uh, bird's eye view showing that the hospitals were very empty um, the year before at the same time, but the hospital parking lots were full. And so all this was, all this chatter was going on, and Bill Gates is very connected to the World Health Organization and is very in tune with what's going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And at the same time, he's investing into BioNTech. He invested his first $50 million into BioNTech in September in its public information press release. But that all the noise that was going on in China was already known amongst the um, epidemiologist community and, uh, and Andrew as well. He was starting to get whispers about what was going on early on. Um, uh, in China. So there's a whole community that, that was very much aware of what was likely happening. And that makes Bill Gates' BioNTech investment very suspicious that he invested into this in September 2019. So I just wanted to throw that in there with the, the Bill Gates thing before Andrew reread that. Thank that you, Lizzie. Yeah, so I, I have the quote up. And thank you for that, Lindsay. So this is from Stephen Ulreich, uh, Bears. Uh, Pharmaceuticals Division Executive. Together with Bill and Melinda Gates, we're working very closely on fam family planning initiatives. We are really taking that leap to drive innovation, us as a company bearer, in, a, in cell and gene therapies. Ultimately, the mRNA vaccines are an example for that cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago in the public, would you be willing to take a gene or cell therapy and inject into your body? We have probably would have had a 95% refusal rate. 
So that's them stoking the fear um, to sure. get this this technology, you know, out into the into the market. Um, sure. So, Charles, this is you know a fun question to ask. So, do you want to go over the different uh, sequences within both the agent and the vaccine? Well, gene therapy within the jab. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Uh, there's literally dozens of concerning uh, parts of the genome just in the spike. In fact, I've made a, a graphic that I can add after after this is done that that just shows in the 1,200 uh, amino acid, 1,273 amino acid sequence of the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. There are there's more than one inferior cleavage site. There is several prion-like domains. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. But for for our purposes, the, the two biggest concerns are the hearing cleavage site and what, what are just generally called HIV inserts. And, and what those are are three specific... Well, if you... T- there's four inserts, really, inside the SARS-CoV-2 spike. And what that means is when you compare SARS, the original SARS virus spike protein to SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, SARS-CoV-2 is slightly longer by approximately 40 amino acids. And that difference is, is made up almost entirely of four inserts, so four additional spaces. And so you can think of this as that it's a little bit longer, so when you try to align them, it doesn't line up perfectly because it's a little bit longer one than the other. And this isn't uncommon for, and insertions do happen, especially with recombination, which is a primary reason why coronaviruses can evolve so quickly. But in this case, all four of these, one of them being the furin cleavage site, all four of them, have high homology, which means they're very, very close in what their amino acids are and nucleotides to specific pieces within the HIV, for lack of a better term, spike protein, which is called GP120, well, and also the GAG protein. So, and so basically, this spike protein has key pieces of HIV's spike protein on it in addition to everything that the original SARS virus had. And in particular, these uh, three of those, um, have, it's now been shown that, that these three are an integral reason why SARS-CoV-2 can infect immune cells directly, I mean, Charles, specifically degenerative cells. I want you to keep going, but I, I just want to add an interesting uh, point here. So the reason the reason why I wanted you to go through that is you're, someone had raised a question earlier about, you know, the, sort of the disease or outcomes associated either with the jabs or the agent. The weird thing, the weird exactly. things that they're noticing, well, it, this is this is extremely rare. I, I don't want to be a fear monger here, but from speaking with several uh, military uh, physicians, one being uh, Colonel Teresa Long, and then looking at the other case reports popping up um, in the United States, you know, there was a meme floating around, you know, they were talking about SARS-CoV-2 and the jabs. It just turns out that it was AIDS. Well, the, the reality here is there are, it's very rare. So this is not to fear monger. This is very rare for people who have been jabbed, but some have developed full-blown HIV symptoms. 
So, I mean, when I say some, like, once again, this is very rare, um, but there's been no indication, especially with the military population, people who developed HIV, that they had any exposure uh, through either sexual contact or any other behavior um, or like a blood transfusion or anything where they could have acquired HIV. So it's really strange. This is extremely rare. Okay. But they have, it has been noticed and documented. And when looking at the genetics of these, um, the agent and the jab, and I know where Charles is going with this. I don't want to steal, steal his fire. You know, it's very interesting. That's happened in a few, few people. So sorry to interrupt you, Charles, but I just wanted to point that out. Well, no, that's, that's fine. And uh, what people need to understand is that, that, AIDS is, is not the same thing as HIV. And so HIV is a virus that causes an acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. But, but you, you can have immune dysregulation without it coming from AIDS. I mean, rheumatoid arthritis, my mom has that. And that's just another example of something different. So there's all these different causes of things that can cause immune suppression. But what we can say is that, um, that there is a lot of immune suppression that's taking place. And this is something that's just very recently been coming out, which is that it, the mRNA jabs in particular and I, I, are, are causing your immune system to, to produce antibodies that as if it's similar to an allergic response. And so it's basically what's happening is that your, your body is starting to deaden itself to the spike protein because it's saying, okay, well, I've seen too much of it. So instead of um, becoming inflamed, I'm going to just, um, I'm going to put these antibodies out, which don't cause an immune response. But the problem is, is, is that, you want that if you're talking about an allergen, but you don't want that if you're talking about a virus. And so that is like, just in the last month, that's been something that several studies have come out that are corroborating this. And it's specifically coming not from the virus, but from mRNA vaccines specifically. So once again, because of this novel method of, of, of creating these spike proteins, you are you're messing with the, the body's, the immune system's homeostasis. And that's, we're tr- there's a lot of people trying to figure that out right now because that it's, it's unprecedented and they don't, but it's not good. And it's something that we would have been able to see because we should have known. In fact, I know that they should have known this because they've had vaccine trials for HIV in the past. And in several HIV vaccine trials in the last five years, there have been, well, really in the last 15, they've seen this antibody, what's called cross-switching of isotypes. And, and so they could have anticipated this, but they said nothing. And even now they're saying nothing. So, but, but I literally went back last week and found several different studies, some done by the NIAID, that show that they understood this process. And so my biggest concern is that they're not telling this to the public, that they're not explaining that they should have seen this coming. 
well, for obvious reasons, I mean, it's all part of the bigger cover-up, and that's specifically related to the jab. So right. this, this one of the, I think, the most shocking or stunning moments of, of last year for me being the, the nerd that I am was the series that you did with Jay um, related to, you know, why, why those HIV inserts might have been put in. Do you want to discuss that real briefly? I mean, why would they, why would they add HIV inserts to a, to a coronavirus? I mean, it, it sounds cra- crazy. Sure. Well, so... <laughs> The bottom line is, is that whatever the reason is, it can't be good because the HIV inserts have caused a lot of controversy. In fact, I've been able to basically prove that the the main reason that Dr. Fauci started censoring science and us in general, and the main reason that he had his, he called his meeting with Jeremy Farrar on January or on February 1st, 2020 was in response to a paper that was published on January 31st, this is the previous day by a group of Indian scientists who, who, who kind of sounded the alarm. Hey, there's these four pieces of the genome, which bear striking resemblance to different parts of the HIV spike protein. And so I have no doubt that that was the main reason that caused it because Dr. Fauci already knew about the furin cleavage site and he, he didn't say anything. He'd already known for three weeks because it was part of his vaccine. But the, the addition of these HIV components, that scared them because there'd be, it would be impossible for that to have happened in nature. Now I could go into the science, but we don't have all the time, but it, it, it was impossible for these three pieces to go from three exposed places on one virus to a completely separate virus, but in the exact perfect spots on that new virus to be most effective. And basically, the, what, what they do is they allow this virus to infect dendritic cells. And this is the biggest part about all of this is that it's part of the diffuse proposal. This is one of the things that they stated in writing that they intended to do EcoHealth Alliance with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the University of North Carolina in a SARS-like coronavirus was insert furin cleavage sites and insert um, or, and, and work to create a virus that could utilize the DC sign pathway. It's, they had the intent to do it. Well, you, you just tied that, you wrapped that all up perfectly. When you went to Devious, I was going to ask you about that next. Okay, so let me ask you another question here. So what do you think the tie, though, is between, you know, modifying the infectious agent to have these three or four specific inserts, which were also patented by Moderna, I might add. Why, why add those, you know, why add those to an agent you're engineering? And what's the relationship between that and the mRNA jabs? Well, so... Ostensibly, the reason that they wanted to do it was because they wanted to, what, what they claimed they were trying to do is create a bat vaccine thing that would suppress, it, it would cause any viruses that looked kind of like this inside bats to evolve away from them. And so their, their, their plan was to infect bats with these little nanoparticle spike proteins it's not exactly the same as, as what the mRNA technology is but close enough 
that uh, that DARPA understood what it was. And this was actually the main reason why they rejected the diffuse proposal. And this is in, this is incredibly important for for what follows, because what they said is is that they rejected because this spike nanoparticle was only partial epitope coverage, which means instead of using the whole virus for a vaccine, you're going to use a spike, which is already, like viruses already evolve, but this is going to cause them to evolve faster in ways that you can't predict. And so the real tragedy, in fact, the first article that I wrote after we released the diffuse documents was about this, because I said, because it was actually just after the mandate had taken effect in federal and in, especially in the military. And I said, why, after the Defense Department rejected this idea in BATS in 2018, three years later, the president ordered them to universally vaccinate everybody with basically the same thing. And that is a, to me, that's a, a travesty. But... The bottom line is they had already rejected it. They were forced to vaccinate everybody, all the soldiers, with something that had that they had rejected, that they said was not ready. To me, that's one of the biggest tragedies of this entire pandemic. I agree. And the thing that thing that I'll add here, which I discussed in the book, is how at Equal Health Alliance we used to work ahead of the receipt of funding. So it didn't matter whether or not DARPA gave us money to do any work. We were already doing it before the time we received money. We would just, we would find a buyer, a buyer for our research. So in context right. of the, the diffuse pr- pr- proposal, it didn't matter that uh, diffuse had, had rejected it and not given equal health alliance money. They were probably already working on it because while I work there, that's what we always did. Wow. Uh, tragic and dare I say criminal you know, before I go to Heather, uh, and, and I brought Heather up because I trust Heather to ask an actual germane question. Um, <laughs> and and Heather's great. If you're not following Heather Mullins, please do so. Uh, great investigative journalist. Uh, we love Heather here. So, um, but you know what, you guys, th- this explains so much. Uh, if you were paying attention to the pressers, this is for us lay people who speak like, you know, basic English. Uh, I feel like I'm having to become, you know, a, a, a toxicologist, an epidemiologist, a neuroscientist, a, a spook. Like there's so many new aspects to my life that I didn't have three years ago. So this is really profound and amazing. But I remember watching the first pressers with with, uh, with Burks and, and Fauci, and they always mentioned HIV. Every single press conference and that stood out to me and I thought why do they keep making this correlation between what's happening now and the emergence of COVID and SARS-2 and HIV so I started to ask myself the question and Andrew you just confirmed it that albeit there there may be very few cases and again we're not fear-mongering and don't run out with a headline that says Monica's space Dr. Huff said that people who have been injected now have AIDS you know HIV or AIDS that's not what we're saying there have been a few cases of this I am not surprised so to hear you say that and I don't know how all the proteins cross-pollinate and move and all of that but it just made sense to me that these guys are playing Frankenstein 
with something that Fauci has had his fingers in for a very long time, not to mention the Gates Foundation. So it, it's just all becoming a little bit clearer now. And honestly, I, I am concerned. I, I just told you what happened to a very young, a toddler, effectively, whose immune system has done exactly what Charles told us is occurring in people who have been vaccinated, injected. We keep using the term vaccinated, injected. And this child's immune system has all but shut down just a few months after being injected. And, and so very concerning and, and criminal, not to mention what you just said about our our armed forces, Andrew. I mean, I've, I, ha- I held a space just a few weeks ago with men and women who have adverse effects. You know, they're grounded. I mean, it is a nightmare. What, what has occurred with our uh, military readiness. But with that, we will be closing the space soon uh, because Andrew has other, he has time constraints as well as other obligations, as I'm sure Charles does as well. So I want to go to Heather. And then if you guys would like to attend uh, and Christopher, if you have any other questions, please a- ask those now. And then uh, Dr. Huff and Charles, if you guys don't mind just kind of tying a nice little bow around today. And uh, please make sure that you guys share this space once it's over, as well as there will be a produced uh, show that will go along with this. You guys can fast forward, rewind, whatever it is you want to do and share it with as many people as you can, please. That is the whole point in this uh, series is to get the word out. But uh, Heather, please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you so much, Monica. Um, it's crazy that this that I just happened to stumble across this space because all day today and yesterday I've been watching this four-hour presentation by Dr. Richard Fleming. Um, he has a website called theflemingmethod.com, and he actually goes into details. He's, he's a professor, and he goes into the details of exactly um, what was just being talked about, this sequencing, right, where they take basically like the genetic makeup of HIV-1 and they take bits and pieces of it and they attach it to a coronavirus, essentially. And he cites in this four-hour presentation the exact studies where they were doing this. It was Dr. Shi was it Jing Li um, from the Wuhan lab? And he lays it out in this four-hour presentation, which I dropped a link for in the, the comments of this space. So you guys can go look at it. But basically, he teaches it in a way that a professor would at a college, right? So as you're watching this presentation, he has slides, he has images of the coronaviruses. He teaches you what a spike protein is, like like everybody knows one question he asked everyone in the room he's like how many people have heard the word spike protein well how many of you know how to explain what it is well this is what you're not being told right everyone has all these bits and pieces but what he really does in this four-hour presentation is he sews it all together like you would get if you were a new college student sitting in his classroom he gives you the building blocks and he tells you exactly what you need to know so that at the end of it you can piece it all together and see it for yourself. So I dropped that in the comments, but exactly what was just being talked about, how the bits and pieces of the HIV virus were merged with coronaviruses to create this bioweapon is kind of like what he lays the foundation for. And what he specifically said was that this spike protein had 590 amino acids, which was 1,770 nucleotides that match HIV-1 virus, right? And the way he explained it is that in order for that to be a mutation, things mutate one nucleotide at a time. So to go from a coronavirus to having all these parallels, it would be a long, gradual process that would take a really long time in order for that to happen naturally, right? So that the only way this could physically happen is if you were to 
man make it in a lab and take the sequences and insert them into something else, if that makes sense. But yep. it's all laid out in that link that I, I dropped in the comment section. So it's crazy stuff. Yeah, Thank no, you, and I've worked with Dr. Fleming on a, on a couple of different uh, projects or things we've tried to get going. He has a wealth of knowledge and I, I support all the work he's been doing. I haven't had a chance to watch the videos myself. He, he recently just put a, a series of experiments related to, I believe, the mRNA jabs up. And I'm excited to watch it because I think that might be a new take on science. And I'm going to let Charles wrap things up because I actually have to step out right now to, to walk into a studio. So uh, thank you, everyone, for coming. But I'll let Char Charles wrap this up, and uh, I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Excellent. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. I appreciate it, Andrew. Hi. Um, okay. I'd like to go to Charles. Give me one second. I'd like to go over to uh, David Beckerman. I brought him up as well. Air Force pilot fighting unlawful mandates. Uh, he was in my uh, active military and military readiness space just a few weeks ago. Uh, David, welcome back. Did you have a question? Yeah. And uh, actually, hey, thanks for bringing me up. Uh, to, I actually have a just want to put something on your radar uh, instead of a question this time, but I'll be quick. Uh, January 26th, uh, the FDA is meeting. They're having the uh, their vaccine committee. Uh, they're they're going to be discussing future vaccination regimen. Uh, and I dropped the link in there in the comments. You have until the 25th uh, to go leave the FDA comments. But uh, what we're expecting is that they're going to make the, these uh, bivalent boosters, the unlicensed EUA bivalent boosters, they're going to uh, arbitrarily make them the new primary two-dose series. The uh, primary monovalents don't exist. You can't find them wow. in the pharmacies. Uh, we, the DOD and the, and the government, they spent a combined of uh, almost $5 billion on 170 million doses last summer. Uh, for the fall vaccinations. And I don't know if you guys are following the uh, booster acceptance rates has been in the gutter. So what we're expecting and there, if you actually if you follow the FDA um, officials accounts, they, they've been beating the bivalent drum for a minute. They're drumming up support to just say, yep, it's good. We you know, it, it reduces um, it reduces the risk uh, of hospital based on science. This is just based on, you know, um, uh, what am I trying to say here? Admit, this is a, an administrative decision, not a science decision. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. You guys, please follow David, David Beckerman. Uh, follow him. He has a, you know, he's he'll keep you on point with what's happening uh, and the actual truth of, of what's happening uh, with within the military, um, which if you miss that space, you can also go back and catch that. And I believe we have that archived as one of my podcasts as well. Uh, that was extremely informative. And we've been able to help a young lady in there um, pretty bigly, actually, uh, who is vaccine injured and had, she's 22 years of age, 23 now. Um, a young woman, you know, signed up to serve the country and is now she has a host of health maladies uh, that she's contending with. So kudos to all of you, my space participants, you guys rock and, and came up out of your pockets. And we have, uh, you know, we have amplified what little bit she started with. These guys, David and her brothers uh, in uniform have rallied around her to make sure that, you know, she's supported. She has a voice. She was on with Emerald Robinson uh, last week as well. And we're giving a voice to men and women in uniform 
who are taking great risk of, of coming into spaces, not speaking on behalf of the DOD, there's our disclaimer, uh, not speaking on behalf of the United States government, but speaking on behalf of themselves as individuals, you know, with bodily autonomy and First Amendment rights, in theory at least. However, there's much there's a much deeper implication to this as we've all heard with regard to whether or not this is a legitimate injection uh, a vaccine and or and you know do people have uh, the legitimate authority to mandate that you inject yourself with something that has not been uh, tested and tried and true. Uh, so David is leading the charge on that, along with some other ladies and gentlemen who were in that space. Uh, so, and if you guys are hosting your own spaces, reach out to David. He's a wealth of information, and he can bring a whole group, a group of people with him who would be happy to inform your respective audiences. I encourage you to do that as well. Um, and so, Christopher, I see you have your hand up. Go ahead. Well, I think this kind of got answered already, maybe, but um, Charles, I was going to ask you and um, Dr. Huff, but I can um, just ask you now. Um, so what I'm gathering from what you stated is, aside from the Furin cleavage site, which was the clear example that this, um, you know, was uh, man-made, what you're stating or, you know, suggesting here is that with all of these signature traits of HIV, um, the differences in the length um that, that you referenced, there's no way when Mr. The Science, Dr. Fauci, stated to the public um, that he was unaware, that he did not believe this was uh, lab leak. At, it was very clear at this point that all of these scientists knew this was man-made, correct? Uh, yes, and so I'll go ahead and, and this can, this is a great way to close it because, so first of all, I know Dr. Fleming, I, I spoke at his Crimes Against Humanity tour several times. Uh, so did uh, Dr. Huff. Um, and um, when it comes to the military mandate, that was the main, one of the main things I was fighting after we released Diffuse because that was actually the reason why it was part of an Inspector General whistleblower complaint is because they were questioning the legitimacy of it through that means. Um, and yes, the bottom line is, so Diffuse... They had the intent to do this, and then they hid that document. In fact, when the when the Biden report on the on the origin of COVID came out, that was a lie. The intelligence community was lying to the American people because I knew about Diffuse, and we were preparing to release those documents as they were lying to the American people, pretending that they didn't know anything about it. And it culminates that in 2020, uh, Dr. Fauci. First of all, he had to know about the Fearing Cleavage site because his lieutenant, Barney Graham, the main decision they, they made before they finished the sequence on their prototype vaccine was whether or not to retain the Fearing Cleavage site. And the key here is that they had never done that before. I went back over 20 years. I looked at dozens of studies of, of vaccine prototypes that they made across different types of viruses. They would always remove the Fearing Cleavage site. Also, the, the same pieces that are of HIV that these re, re, represent were almost always removed from HIV vaccines. So in every case, even if it was conceivable that Dr. Fauci, like if he saw the genome but didn't realize it, his vaccine research center, which co-produced, which created the sequence, 
and, and worked with Moderna to make the Moderna vaccine, they knew exactly what it was. And I have, I have an HIV vaccine uh, genome sequence from October 2019 from another paper where they took out all these same pieces yet again. So to answer your question, yes, they knew what these represented. And he knew already that they were in there and said nothing. And the reason why he got so scared and, and called all these scientists to get together to cover it up is because there was no way that they would be able to, like, they had to, to immediately call it um, conspiracy. They had to immediately attack it because if people understood that that connection existed, then it would become obvious to everyone that it could not be natural. And that has underlied all of this. And that's what I wanted to point out and, and just end on on my end is that he did more than not say nothing. Correct. He was very vocal in these emails that are now coming out. And he did even worse, which is that he lied. He lied under oath his, in terms of his knowledge. He's lied to the he lied to the American public day after day after day after day on cable TV and local TV. But he did a lot more than know nothing. He misled, knowingly misled the American people and our elected politicians which led to horrendous decision-making that impacted so many families. So- yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I know that myself, uh, Andrew Huff, Major Murphy, and many others, we look forward to being able to testify to those effects because it's time for justice. Excellent. Thank you. And along with that, um, episode five is coming up uh, this Wednesday at the same time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will discuss the uh, COVID emergence timeline, um, events, and the COVID cover-up. So we have a very interesting lineup of guests, although I will tell you, um, some of these folks are running into, um, shall we say, their legal counsel <laughs> suggesting that because of exactly what Charles just said, uh, we, we all know that justice is, is going to prevail, right? And, and that is occurring as, as we speak. Uh, the curtain is being pulled back. And, and I do believe that you, your spaces, you all should be mindful, uh, could very well end up in, uh, in a federal investigation uh, as well as uh, you know, you could end up in a congressional hearing. Uh, there's there's a lot of things being shared in these spaces, which is why we are mindful of that. And and Charles, I I do appreciate your candor. I appreciate your um, courage. And and you know, just just your hey, I, I have nothing to lose other than to hide in the truth. And you know, as one of my FBI buddies has told me who's former, so he's one of the good guys now. Uh, but he said, you know, Monica, the best place to hide is always in the truth. And that reminds me of Psalm 91. Absolutely. Amen. And so I close out every one of my spaces, regardless of who my special guest is or, or their religious affiliation or any of you uh, with prayer. So before I do that, you're welcome to stay or go, uh, receive a blessing or not. We love you. And we're very grateful that you're here today. Please follow a few people. Um, I see, Lindsay, I see your hand up. Give me one second. Uh, please follow Ten Foil Tricorn, my regular co-host, along with Christopher Moreno, who's in currently in the speaker position, but Christopher the Warrior uh, is uh, my other usual co-host. Uh, and please, Father Heller, Heather Mullins, and support her work, as well as uh, Charles. You're going to want to follow Charles. Charles is the man to follow. 
along with Dr. Huff. Okay. And, and Charles is putting it all out there. David Beckerman as well. And uh, Stephen Steele also has a show. Please follow him. Also someone to follow uh, who has just got a heart of gold, who is leading the charge of PAs, nurses, doctors, and really helping to build a community and bridge some gaps is Michelle Peterson. You will see her also here in the uh, listener position, but please follow Michelle. Also Mays Love, as I said earlier, also want to highlight following uh, Ross Dyer. Um, I'm just going through some of you guys in here who do have uh, followings and you host your own great spaces, which I uh, always appreciate. And uh, I think it's important to bring serious people into serious conversation um, for dialogue that is going to be healing, right? And, and truth and knowledge is is healing. One of my brothers in Canada who kept us very well informed, and I think he just is, where'd he go? There he is. Uh, please follow this gentleman with a Canadian flag, but Bob Fact Checker. Uh, those guys kept us all informed during our trucker issues in Canada and, you know, having to contend with their own government lunacy. Uh, J-Man also um, has a fantastic uh has a fantastic, fantastic concept uh, that I would like for you guys to check out. So follow Jamie on the producer. He's in here as well. A lot of great people come into my spaces. Please follow each other, support one another's networks. That's very important. Uh, Lindsay, before I get started, go ahead. I just wanted to add something real quick about something I pinned up in the nest. Since uh, Dr. Malone was not able to join today and his flight got delayed out of Europe, um, one thing that he has been sounding the alarm on is the damage that the spike protein, this the synthetic mRNA and the spike protein does to the T cells. And he succinctly explains what happens and how this harms um, immune systems, like the two-year-old that you mentioned, Monica, that's in the hospital right now. So there's a video I pinned up there um, that I know was suppressed, I'm sure, at the time when I shared it last year, but it's it's very informative and it's got a lot of great information in it. And I just highly recommend that um, everyone take the time to, to watch it and listen because he goes into detail explaining um, what happens to our T cells and why we're seeing the rise in certain um, autoimmune disorders because of it. Thank so, you. Just wanted to add that. Perfect. Point. Yes, so, thank you. So here's what we're going to do. After I finish, Charles, I'm assuming you're coming back with us Wednesday, I hope. I mean, I hope we have you for the duration of our series. Um, I want to, I'm going to leave the space open uh, briefly while, and allow you guys to get up there in the nest and, uh, and pull from that material. Um, I think studies show that only like 3% of space participants engage the nest. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that because uh, it's information that will be helpful to you. And, and again, in, in this particular series, what we're doing is offering you the, uh, the box cover to the jigsaw puzzle called COVID. And there are many different voices, many different spaces, many different conversations and experts and bloviators and the like that are going on about COVID. And all of that information for me personally has left me still scratching my head saying what the hell really happened. I don't know about the rest of you. Right. And there, and this has been a space I believe with this series that helps you congruently and soberly put the pieces, uh, very important pieces of the puzzle together. And it will also bring you peace of mind because you will be able to see that these actors, while they uh, are attempting to hide what has occurred, it is impossible to hide 
from the truth and from the justice that's coming. And so I hope that that will actually feed your immune systems and bring you peace of mind and knowing that justice will actually prevail. And you can be sober minded about that by putting these pieces uh, together. So again, please follow everyone in the panel, the speaker's position and, uh, and get up into the nest and extract the things that you need. Uh, so father, Thank you so much, Father Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, all things visible, invisible, every living spirit in this space and beyond. Thank you that this earth is yours and the fullness thereof. Thank you that by the blood of your son and the broken body of your son, that there is zero virus, man-made or nature-made, Father, that you are unaware of and that you are totally capable of healing and absolutely annihilating and eradicating from the face of the earth. So I pray over every person in this space, Father, in the name of your son, Yeshua, who is living in fear, dread, anger, wrath, bitterness, unforgiveness, just complete terror and dread of what's been unleashed in this earth uh, that I personally believe is completely 1000% of the enemy's kingdom. I thank you that we are not subject to those forces. And so I speak life over your immune system. Systems. I speak life and hope and health and joy over every cell of your body from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet out to your fingertips. We speak to those bones, those dry bones. We speak to them and we call them forth to rise up and we call homeostasis forward in your bodies that is true to the word of our living father that says that he came to forgive us of all of our sins and to heal us of all of our dis eases, whether man-made or genetically modified or created in a lab or through generational curses. That is our promise. That is what we stand on in my spaces. And that is what I release to you in the mighty name of Yeshua. So I pray for protection over Charles, over Dr. Huff, over Dr. Malone, ever over Dr. Long, over Every person in uniform in this country, whether they've been jabbed or not, Father, I pray holy protection in, in, a, in, a, in a complete hedge of protection around this country and around your people who are every living being is your, they're your people. So I thank you for rising up in your glory, Father, and separating the wheat from the chaff and the evildoers from those who are actually pursuing your righteousness, your peace, your joy through your son. And even those who don't know your son, Father, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace and that that invitation is extended to everyone in this space today. So thank you for being an awesome, loving, forgiving, powerful Almighty and knowing Father of all things in earth and in heaven. We love you in the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. And we'll be back Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This uh, space will be up shortly. And you can also download uh, my show uh, if you're subscribed to my podcast as well. Uh, thank you very much, Charles. I appreciate you, sir. And uh, God bless you. Right, You're welcome. You. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you.